Tēnā koutou katoa. Welcome. This is the New Zealand Wine Podcast. I'm Boris Lamont. Thanks for listening in. This is part two of our conversation with Cameron Douglas. At the time of recording is New Zealand's first and only Master Sommelier with the Court of Master Sommeliers Worldwide and is the South Pacific Director for the Global Guild of Sommeliers. As you'd expect, Cameron is extensively involved in the wine industry both here in New Zealand and internationally, writing, commentating, judging and advising. If you'd like to find out more about today's podcast or look up our previous podcasts and also see what's coming up, just look us up online, the New Zealand Wine Podcast. But right now, let's have a chat with Cameron. One of the earlier points you referred to was about knowing the market um, for, for, for a restaurant and, and um, its, its catchment area maybe. And so you've done wine lists for um, restaurants overseas as well, outside of New Zealand. I have. So, And w- w- is there a, uh, a different thought process that you need to go through then for those restaurants and knowing... Um, what sort of wines uh, might be preferred amongst that uh, clientele? I think the short answer is yes, and only because you have to read your market and cast your net of information wider. I mean, I'm used to Auckland, I'm used to New Zealand, I understand a lot of the cultures when it comes to um, the food and wine businesses here Mm -hmm. and and, and how it works, and instinctively know how it works. When I go to, say, New York... That's a whole different ball game, because access to wine is, is different from the way it is here. Yep. The client base in any restaurant could be multiple cultures, multiple culture based. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of cultures here in New Zealand, but they don't necessarily all dine together. Whereas in New York, they will. Right. So okay. you're appealing to different cultural sets over there. In New York, you're dealing to a different level of wealth as well. Mm-hmm. So people are prepared to pay a lot more for wine because they've got the money to pay for for that. Mm. But there are also people who are struggling to make ends meet. In New York, it's like any other city in the world in that respect. And you have to have wines that appeal to that budget as well. But it's multiple tastes, multiple palates, multiple cultures that are impacting. And, of course, the competition is enormous. Mm. Mm. And in a city like New York, you could die in a different place three times a day and still never do it in your yeah. lifetime. It's, it's it's fun and interesting and very complex. Is it, it must be incredibly difficult keeping across then everything internationally that's available for, for, for say, in, in New York preparing a, a wine list and going, OK, um, this is what I need to think about for uh, this area and, and the, the type of people that are dining here. Um, but then knowing then mm-hmm. <laughs> where, you know, what, what it is that fits in there, given what, what um, you're trying to piece together mm. you know, from, and, and from what's happening you know, globally, um, particularly with, you know, I suppose, also newer markets coming on and, and things changing. Mm. In the United States, first of all, it's not 50 states. It's 50 different countries. And there are particular laws that apply to different states access to wine in a lot of them especially New York is very very easy but there is a lot of competition there's a lot of uh, entrenchment in certain wines and wine styles over there a wine list isn't a wine list unless it has Napa Cabernet on it somewhere Mm. you've got to have it right it isn't a proper wine list unless it has a German Riesling 
mm-hmm. or a uh, a known Bordeaux producer. So there are lots of expectations in terms of wine lists over there. We don't have so many expectations here. Okay. And so you're forced to list wines that you wouldn't necessarily want on a wine list there. So you have to dig a lot deeper to find the right expression of and still thing. use the word Bordeaux and Burgundy right, in some okay. of those labels. Yes. Yep. Wine reps over there are under a lot of pressure. So you would taste... Where you might taste a half a dozen wines with a wine rep here, you might taste 20 or 30, but you do it in a much quicker time. Your, your appointment time might be 30 minutes with a wine rep over there, and you're tasting 30 wines. So it's, it's speed tasting. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's speed dating with wine yeah. to find that one wine out of 30 or not on that day. Right. And next week they'll be back again with 30 more. Right. Okay. Okay. So there's a lot of wine tasting involved. And those would be a mixture of, for, for them, for, for the U.S., domestic U.S. and imported mm-hmm. wines, right? right. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. So Finger Lakes Riesling, we don't get that here in New Zealand, mm. but I do over there, and it's fantastic to really try that. Mm. Washington Syrah and Merlot-based wines over there, yep. delicious to try. Right. And smaller producers from California, they don't get much of a show, but there's some amazing wines over there. Mm. Okay. I guess in New Zealand we're lucky in that the doorway to importing some of these wines is slightly wider now, especially stuff coming out of the USA into New Zealand. Mm. Some amazing wines that Mm. we have access to now. Mm. Sadly, they're a little bit more expensive, but that's the government's fault because of the exchange rate, not yeah. mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they can be found, I think. You can find you know, reasonably priced imported wines in, uh, mm-hmm. in New Zealand if, uh, yeah. you know, if you look for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So just touching back again on the, um, on the, on the exam process and, and that, I mean, um, probably quite a few listeners would have seen SOM. Um, is, that, uh, is that what it's like? The, and, you know, oh, it yes. obviously came across as you know, very intense. You obviously have to be very focused. Um, on just that uh, for that for for that yeah. period of your life, um, and you know ridiculous amount of information um, to cover and mm. to to have stored. Yeah, the Som the Som movie is a snapshot in time. Mm. Clearly, with those four guys that were preparing to take the ultimate exam, it's listed as one of the top ten hardest exams in the world, or mm. a set of exams to oh. pass. And you're quite right. It's about sacrifice, I think. What you're prepared to sacrifice in your life to reach your goal. And when it comes to the Master Sommelier exams, whether it's the tasting, the theory, or the service, you have to marry those exams. Mm. And your family take second base or mm. third base for mm. that period of time. And if which, you've got which can be a substantial period, can't it? Well, it's not. Well, yeah, I failed the exam. Four times, right? <laughs> and I and and some of these guys that were in the movie did the same. Yeah. And fortunately, I know all of all of the people in that particular movie, okay. and we're friends. And some of them I still teach with when I'm overseas. Right. And they're great people as individuals, and they're also great master sommeliers now. And as I said, there's a lot of sacrifice involved and there's a lot of repetition. And yes, you do have to become an encyclopedia on wine mm. and mm. other beverages, which some people forget. It wasn't really pushed as a message in that movie that the word sommelier means all beverages. Right. So okay. that's from water to cocktails to clearly a lot about wine, mm. but it's also sake, 
right. beer and after dinner drinks as well, yeah. and even tea and coffee. Right. Okay. Okay. And the, so the growing craft beer market is, um, you know, is something else yeah. that you have, need yeah. to be mindful of. And not all beverages have to be wine to pair with food. Right. No. No. Well, um, beers. Beers a great example, isn't it? It is it goes, with, goes mm. great with um, with lots of food. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Especially pizza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No. There's some great beer and food pairing opportunities, but beer is a lot simpler than wine. And no offence to beer brewers, it's a lot simpler to pair beer with food than it is wine. Hmm. Yeah, well, I don't think, um, you know, I could be wrong here, but I think generally speaking, um, you don't get um, the ageing process with a beer that, um, you know, enhances a, a, a good wine or changes a good wine over time. Or Yeah, hmm. yeah with beer it's about raw product. It's about the degree to which you might experience sweetness or savouriness, hoppiness. Um, and um, these days woodiness or any other added flavours that might be in there mm. and small production beer will change over time as well it, um, one batch is going to be a little bit different from the next right okay mm. and so um, your teaching so you, you're, you, you mentioned yeah. your teaching here and you do a little bit overseas did you say as well yes I'm on the board of directors for the Court of Master Sommeliers Worldwide part of being a master is being the master and that means paying it forward giving something back okay there's no point in becoming a master if you're not prepared to do something with it there there are two types of people in the world that have credentials as goals those that just want the piece of paper to say i did it and others that actually gain that credential so that they can in fact help others achieve the same goal and that's my driving force behind my masters is that I want to give something back so I assist in people taking on board the level one and certified in New Zealand or Australia Mm -hmm. and help people prepare for their advanced or masters exams to the best of my ability and that might just be on email to Brazil or Norway or just talking to people online and helping them out that way as a member of the board of directors for the American chapter of the court I can have an influence on the content of the programs, on the way in which people are examined, and help that entity move forward and stay abreast of what's going on in the world. Right. I'm one of many on the board, but it took me five years to get on the board. It's it's an election-based system. Wow. And... I'm really happy to be on the board now and make a contribution. Yeah, no, that's... that's and examining overseas. So I examine at all levels in the Quartermaster Sommeliers program, and it's a great joy to see people pass. Pass that, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, as you mentioned, so the SOM was a, a snapshot. So how many exams did it take to get to that level? For me personally? Yes. There are four levels in the Quartermaster Sommeliers okay. program. The introductory level, which is really designed for anybody that's interested in wine and beverages or learning to develop their palate, mm-hmm. and the and there is an exam associated with that, and you're going to get sixty percent or better, and you've passed. The certified level is for people who actually are operating as a sommelier. Okay. They're working in a hotel, restaurant, bar, nightclub, and they actually have a serious interest in wine, especially, and they are tested at a higher and harder level on their theory, their wine tasting, blind wine tasting skills, and their service skills. Mm-hmm. Can you actually present open and pour wine 
in a technically correct way. Do you know how to open a bottle of sparkling wine without it making a loud banging noise? Can you pull a cork out of a bottle of wine without snapping it in half? Yeah. And sticking up between your legs to get the damn thing out, right? <laughs> so there's, all a, the, yes, there's an art involved, <laughs> yes. and it's important to be able to test that. And people can develop a palate for wine. You're not necessarily born with a great palate at mm. all. And, of course, theory is theory. You have to learn stuff, mm. and you mm. have to learn something about all the major wine-producing countries in the world yep. and what they, what they make, what it smells and tastes like. And that can be quite difficult. We all have our weaknesses. My mm. weakness, really, for a long time, was the blind wine tasting, and because I kept on second guessing what they were putting in, and as right. soon as I stopped doing that, I got the wines right. Right. Okay. So, so just just on that, do you mm. um, do you do exercises around um, smell and taste, and um, with my students? Oh, absolutely. No, and, but yourself to you know um, try to. Um, what's the word, you know, enhance your ability in, in that area? Is yeah. it something that you um, practice a lot or, you know, do you um, make a conscious effort to smell things? or Absolutely conscious yep. effort to smell anything and everything I can all of the time. Right. So if I'm walking in a new part of the world or I'm in a new part of New Zealand or I'm out in the countryside somewhere or I'm in a forest, I'm making something to eat or I'm cooking or I'm in somebody else's kitchen watching them cook Mm. i'm forever smelling things Mm. and you're building your vocabulary and your experience of smell Mm. because that's the language of wine Mm. in simple form that's what you're tested on but when you're discussing things with customers you're using those as as part of the storyline to tell them about a wine Mm -hmm. i mean you'll always remember what the smell on your hands after peeling an orange Mm. orange oil is so distinctive that's a smell that can be part of an old Italian red wine, is that orange oil right. smell. Yep. Or iodine or um, the earth digging the garden mm. and the smell of dirt mm. is an adjective, a descriptor for wine. Mm. Mm. And so, yes, to answer your question, smell, 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 taste, taste, taste. Right, right. All okay. of the time. Yeah, yeah. And working with international wine lists means that I'm tasting international wines all of the time it's mm. not just about New Zealand and that helps me a lot keep yeah. my palate fresh and of course because you're getting that be an advisor breadth and range mm. of, of yeah 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 at and the advanced and masters level in the exam the exams are similar just one's a harder set than the other but just to give you an idea of how difficult it is at masters level that you have three white wines and three red wines in front of you and you have 25 minutes to speak, in t- 25 minutes in total to speak to each of those wines, following a formatted system, and then advising the listeners, the judges, as to what that wine is. Mm. So that's four minutes and 10 seconds of wine. And if you miss a line in the description, you don't get the points for it. Right. And at master's level, you need to get five out of six or six out of six correct. And that takes a hell of a lot of skill and oh, patience yes. yeah. and logic and thinking and working a system, but your nose is the key. Yeah. Your palate's the key. The theory at master's levels are oral questions. You're not filling in a paper. Mm. You're actually being asked those questions by a bunch of fellow masters, mm. and you have to get the vast majority of those questions correct. And they're often very detailed answers as well. How long is the oral section? 
really as long as it takes, but usually about an hour. Okay. The service exam is every customer in the restaurant is a master sommelier, <laughs> right? So, you know, it's very stressful, yeah. and you have to perform, and you have to sell, and you have to taste wine in front of them. Right, right, yeah. And you have to discuss the price of wine and, and sometimes argue the price of wine. Can you still remember the um, the six wines no. in your blind? No? <laughs> I, rem- I remember one of them. Right? Right. I'm very certain of one of them. Right. And... Because uh, it's it's etched in my memory of taste, right. like a, like a lot of other wines these days. Yeah, and it's the way acid talks to you sometimes. It's the way oak speaks to you sometimes. It's the way structure or um, the, the the way a wine unfurls on the palate. Yeah, it's all, always about the smell, about identifying minerality versus winemaking intervention. Okay, so lots of little. Not so, met, so much tricks you can learn, but learning about how you smell and taste wine yourself. Right, right. And that, that's probably um, you know, a good point for listeners too. That you, you touched on it earlier, that um, uh, it, it's not something that you either have or you don't have. You can expand that and grow your own appreciation and understanding um, and ability to you know, pick a wine or, or, or describe the different mm-hmm. um, smells or tastes that, that you're experiencing in the yeah. wine. Yeah. I, I have a lot of students and, and friends and people that I might talk to that dislike red wine intensely mm. and the answer for them um, you know the question is why, why don't you like red wine so much well it's too dry it's too gritty or tannic it doesn't taste look good and it's bitter right and and I go well maybe you're choosing the wrong red wines maybe you are not thinking about what you might be eating when you're trying to enjoy that wine let's wipe the slate clean and start again Mm. so we we will build their understanding of red wine slowly and then we'll reach a a threshold where they go that's the limit of my ability to taste and enjoy red wine Mm -hmm. i've helped them along the way but i've opened the doorway for them to actually start to enjoy yeah we tend to go on a journey as wine tasters where we prefer things that with sugar in it first mm. and then we get tired of that our palates get sick of it actually it's like eating too much chocolate mm. yep and then we tend to move to drier wines then we can move into red wines because they're nearly always dry and then we can up our oak levels our tannin levels and then eventually we start to get a little bit tired of that and we go back to white wine right and then eventually we start enjoying sweet wine again <laughs> so it's, <laughs> a, it's this circular journey yeah and it might take you years to do one full circuit yeah but it will happen yeah no and i think that's important for people to appreciate that um that it is that it is a journey, and that you you know if you don't like something, then you can just move on to something else. Mm-hmm. And um, I've certainly found myself that um, I've spent maybe a bit of time, a couple of years, on something because it's just what I enjoy for for that time. Yeah. And then, as you say, you sort of move on from that and go. Oh, actually, you know, yeah. I quite like and you know, um, you know, big big grunty Australian red wines. What I, you know, I love them for quite a while, and now I just um, I, I find them quite difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really enjoying you know the softer uh, you know Pinot varietals yeah. or um, and you know, I think that's okay I think you know you just sort of um, have your own journey and you and you experience things along the way Mm. it's about going from simple to complex because there are a number of Australian wines that are very very simple but incredibly bold so Mm. bold oak bold fruit 
high impact yep and then the journey stops and then if you're moving into more sophisticated pinot noir as as a taster it's because you're letting the wine tell you the story in terms of what it's saying on the nose and really pinot noir is a wonderful variety to get to know wine with because if if you smell a pinot noir and all you want to do is smell it for three or four minutes and not worry about the taste mm. then you're learning yeah because it's taking you places you're having right. those ratatouille moments yeah it reminds you of something yeah and then you put it on the palate and the volume turns up for everything and mm. then you have what i call moments you have these pauses when you're tasting this wine and it's, it's telling you something about it and you're going i wonder where that's coming from and that's part of the pleasure and enjoyment of wine mm. and mm. then take another sip <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 that's right yeah, no, that's that's great fun. Um, so, do you have a particular wine that um, has had a, a really major impact? You can remember it, and it's um, you know it, it's it's engraved on your memory. You can still remember having a particular wine. Is there something that's a particular standout for you, or is it? You've obviously <laughs> sampled a lot Many. of different <laughs> wines. You know, is there is there a, a region or a varietal that still you know gives you the most most pleasure and or has that changed over time is that or is it still was it always changing and, and moving yeah it's a good question i think that there are epiphany wines in your life there's mm. never going to be just one wine for a mm-hmm. sommelier it's going to be many wines when i had the opportunity to pick some grapes be part of the winemaking process for a period of time in burgundy in 2005 i started off in the vineyard and the vine height in those vineyards only would come up to my waist. And so you're either leaning over a vine to pick the grapes or you're on your hands and knees picking mm-hmm. grapes. Either one hurts. Mm. So pain is part of that memory. But when you're, when you're picking grapes with shears, if you're not cutting grapes properly, you're cutting yourself open. And invariably you get grape juice all over your hands you're you're close to the dirt you're close to the vine you're smelling the environment you're smelling the holistic environment that is a place called burgundy and new zealand is no different but the smells are different Mm. and every morning if i wanted wine i could have wine with breakfast but really every evening they would feed you an enormous amount of food and you don't realize how hungry you are after Mm. working in a vineyard but you'd eat an enormous amount of food and they would serve you wine and it was really towards the end of my time there that the winemaker opened some wine and gave it to me and I put my nose in the glass and it was like, there I am in the vineyard. I right. can smell the soil in this wine. Right. I can smell the air in this wine. I can smell the grapes in this wine. Mm. And they're all coming from the place that I was picking them. Mm. And that place is called Burgundy. And that's an epiphany that will stay with me forever. Yeah. So every time I smell a Pinot Noir, I try to imagine where these grapes are growing right. in the soil that might be producing those aromas because yeah. Pinot Noir can do that. Mm. Sauvignon Blanc, not necessarily so. Riesling can do that incredibly well. Semillon, not necessarily so. Okay. Chardonnay is can do that. Depends where your Chardonnay comes from and how much mm. you like oak or mm. not. Mm. So I do have favourite Rieslings. 
I definitely have favourite Sauvignon Blanc. I love Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. I think my go-to wine on a Friday night when I'm cooking dinner is Chardonnay. The more oak, the better. Right. Love okay. it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend that to everybody who's looking for a Chardonnay. I have no. to learn more about the person that is going to be drinking the Chardonnay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. That's right. And and um, you know, trends to some extent come and go. I think Chardonnay is probably a good one, isn't it? I think you know, sort of creamy, mm. buttery Chardonnays are becoming. Bit more popular now, you know. They certainly went out for a while. I think is yeah, you know, one, being overly popular, but yeah, I mean they've always been there. But um, totally always been there, and there are diehard Chardonnay fans that yes. will not separate themselves from an oaky buttery Chardonnay. Oh no! And every other Chardonnay is awful. Yeah, and good on them for identifying that. Chardonnay is probably one of the most diverse grape varieties and expressions in wine. Mm. And you and I might like diametrically opposed expressions of Chardonnay. Mm. And that's okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's here, exactly try this one. No, yeah. I don't like it. We'll try this one. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah. No, that's good. And that's trends good. in winemaking are changing as well and have an impact, especially on varieties like Chardonnay, where oak isn't so important anymore. Some oak is, mm. but not that high-impact, chunky, toasty, buttery style. There is a certain sector of the drinking public that will always like that. Mm. But dialing back the oak and paying more attention to the texture of Chardonnay is becoming more important Mm. and how it might express its environment and less is more Mm. seems to be a trend at the moment in Chardonnay. Right, okay. Mm. Is there there anything um, coming or that you've seen in the last couple of years a a wine, a a country or a region that you've seen some real improvement in or seen some really interesting things coming out of? Yes, I would encourage people to Take another look at Italy for white wines. Mm-hmm. European varieties grown in Italy, like Chardonnay, funnily enough, or Gewürztraminer out of Italy, northern okay. Italy. Amazing wine. Right. Really, really love Gewürz out of northern Italy. And you can buy it here. Anything American, any New Zealander listening to this and wanting to know what's going on in America, start buying some American wine. And it doesn't have to be Chardonnay. Go. Start exploring Zinfandel mm-hmm. from, say, the Napa? from the USA. Yeah. Napa Zin, mm-hmm. you know, Alexander Valley Zin, or something like that. Are really interesting wines to get to know, and it will help you understand why you did or didn't like Australian blockbuster wines mm-hmm. by trying Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. There is some amazing Pinot Noir coming out of Germany, and right. we all think Riesling with Germany mm. first and foremost. But there's some incredible Pinot Noir being grown there. Wow. Okay. The change in climate is impacting the world wine industry to is the it? point where sparkling wine out of the UK can be as good as champagne. Well, that's um, something I've just heard of, of recently, and I think someone has just bought quite a bit of, hasn't one of the French um, houses bought up some land, I think? They're uh, investing all over the world. Right, OK. <laughs> Not just the UK. Not just the UK. Right. They've invested in New Zealand to uh, a lesser degree perhaps but they have yeah and they're looking to uh, um, protect the future and the integrity of of how french wine has impacted the world right and they're just branching out essentially they did that in chile and argentina historically Mm -hmm. they've done it in california and they've done it in new zealand to a lesser degree in australia so Mm. they are investing Mm. because they need to Mm. you know it's getting a bit warm there now Right, 
Yeah. Right. Okay. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and how about just to um, just finishing up because we're nearly sort of out of time now. Is there is there a particular um, favourite for a, a food wine match for you? You know, is there something that you like having with um, with your Chardonnay, or is there is there some sort of go to for you? Is it a, is it a summery match or? Um, you know, something that you can give you two. Yeah, you can give me as many as you like. I'm really, really good at making risotto. In fact, okay. I think I'm the world's best risotto maker. <laughs> Sorry, Heston Blumenthal. <laughs> and so long as you use homemade stock, not bought stock, and that you are prepared to go do away with butter, because a lot of people stir butter. Mm hmm through their risotto I think that's a huge mistake but really really good parmesan cheese so imagine a risotto that has red beetroot asparagus some oyster mushroom Mm -hmm. and that you've got some parmesan cheese stirred through that so it's quite a wet risotto but not sloppy and on top of that is smoked locally hot smoked salmon right yeah or just any fish that you want to cook on mm-hmm. top of that. So you've got a rich dish yep. that's got some fat in it, high protein, and a little bit smoky. And that's where you would find your favorite Chardonnay match. Right, okay. So risotto and Chardonnay, yep. absolutely, yep. through and through. It's the kind of dish that you could throw pen and wire at as well. Right. Yeah, because mm. all that fat in the cheese dissolves tannin in red wine. Okay. We should talk more about food and wine pairing, yeah. what, what works and what doesn't. Um, and any bitter green vegetable that you would put in, I like putting kale in my risotto, Right, dissolves tannin in red wine. Right. Okay. So the more green, bitter green vegetables you put in your risotto, the more tannic the red wine can be. Right. Yeah. Cheese and, cheese and green vegetables, love red wine. The other match is a classic match, but done in a different way, and that is blue cheese and sweet wine. And I'm thinking French sweet wine, Sauternes, mm-hmm. any producer, so long as it's quite young, and blue cheese. Make it local, Capity or a Blue de Bresse import or something like that. And most people would have cheese and sweet wine separately. Mm. Eat a piece of cheese, sip on sweet wine. Eat a piece of cheese, sip on sweet wine. This is a match that you put both in your mouth together. Right, okay. So you put a large piece of blue cheese in your mouth and yeah. you're just getting soft and then you take a large gulp of wine, mm. and the trick is not to swallow the liquid before you finish chewing the food. Right. Yeah? So you're <laughs> chewing soft blue cheese and high-acid, very sweet French wine together. Yeah. That is a match made in heaven. Wow, that sounds like something to try. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It takes, it takes a little bit of time getting used to. Yeah, it would take a little bit of time getting used to not swallowing. swallowing. <laughs> yeah. And then you go, oh, my God, <laughs> yeah. I just found... Velvet love. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Well, I think that's a uh, good note to finish on. So thank you again for your time. I do appreciate that. My and, pleasure. And um, we look forward to um, speaking to you again some more. Okay. We've just been chatting with Cameron Douglas, Master Sommelier based here in New Zealand. Check us out online at podcast.nz for some more of the New Zealand Wine podcast, as well as some other great podcast series. Thanks for listening in. Hey, Kona mai. Bye for now.